Westinghouse Broadcasting Company brings you The Sound of War, the actual sound record of World War II, 2,191 days from the time Hitler's Panzer divisions moved across the Polish borders to the ceremony of the Japanese surrender aboard the United States battleship Missouri in Tokyo Bay. World War II, the most terrible period of death and destruction in the long history of man. World War II, a drama preserved for all time through the medium of radio, an era never to be forgotten. Tonight, the war begins. It is September 1st, 1939. Chancellor Adolf Hitler is broadcasting to the German nation and the world. It is 10 a.m. In London, Prime Minister Chamberlain of Great Britain is listening. In two days, he will be speaking to the British Empire and the world. World War II is about to get underway. A brief recapitulation of the events leading up to this moment. Eleven months earlier in Munich, Chamberlain, Chancellor Adolf Hitler of Germany, Premier Benito Mussolini of Italy, and Premier Edouard de Lattier of France signed the pact that sealed the death of Czechoslovakia. Chamberlain believed it to be peace in our time. This morning, I had another talk with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler. And here is the paper which bears his name upon it as well as mine. We regard the agreement signed last night and the Anglo-German naval agreement as symbolic of the desire of our two peoples never to go to war with one another again. For Adolf Hitler, it was as Winston Churchill had prophesied. The first sip the first foretaste of a bitter cup that will be proffered to us year by year. Six months after Munich, Czechoslovakia became a German protectorate. Now Adolf Hitler was looking east to Poland. that within the decisive year that followed Munich would earn first the scorn, then the respect of the free world. Poland, a scavenger nation, grabbing land from helpless Czechoslovakia after Munich under the approving eye of Chancellor Hitler. Poland, next on Hitler's timetable of world domination. The mistakes of Munich had now been realized. On March 31st, 1939, Prime Minister Chamberlain spoke to Parliament. Said the Prime Minister, I now have to inform the House that in the event of any action which clearly threatened Polish independence, and which the Polish government considered it vital to resist with their national forces, His Majesty's government would feel themselves bound at once to lend the Polish government all support in their power. In their complete disregard of the principles laid down by the German government itself, seem to fall into a different category. And they must cause us all 
to be asking ourselves, is this the end of an old adventure, or is it the beginning of a new? Is this the last attack upon a small state, or is it to be followed by others? March 31st, 1939. The day the line was drawn. For Chamberlain, it was a remembrance of the lines. In the darkest night of the year, when the stars have all gone out, courage is better than fear. Faith is truer than doubt. England would be pushed no further. Whatever the cost, they would march with Poland. for the tirades centered upon them by Nazi leaders. But international politics creates strange bedfellows, influenced in the main by boundaries and self-aspiration. I shall see no reason, says Mr. Hitler, why Russia and Germany should have been enemies any longer. To Germany, Russia stood as an unwanted eastern opponent if Great Britain and France marched with Poland. It was only 20 years before that Kaiser Wilhelm II found himself locked between the Russian and Western fronts, the prelude to Germany's World War I defeat. To Great Britain and France, it was time for mending fences. Russia had been prepared to march with them six months before at Munich. Today their moves were in doubt. Winston Churchill speaks. I cannot forecast you the action of Russia. It is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. But perhaps there is a key. That key is Russian national interest. in the wind. On April 4th, Hitler issues secret orders for Operation White, the invasion of Poland. At the same time, his speeches become conciliatory towards the Soviet Union. On August 3rd, Hitler in a major speech says he is now ready to remold German-Russian relations. On August 10th, a British and French mission arrives in Moscow. They are treated with courtesy. They receive no commitments. The month is filled with tension. There is no indication which way the Soviet Union will go. Finally, on August 23rd... Here is a bulletin from the United Press. 
Germany and Russia signed a non-aggression pact today. The agreement provides that the two countries would not resort to war against one another and would not support any nation that attacked either of the two countries. So it was done. The electioneering was over. The decision was in. Germany had won over Russia. France and Great Britain would have no Eastern ally. For the Western allies, time was now the most important factor. Unbeknownst to them, Operation White, invasion of Poland, had already been planned. From Great Britain, Thomas Masaryk, Czechoslovakian ambassador to Great Britain, bitterly spoke. No one knows what is going to happen within the next 24 or 48 hours. I don't think that either Chamberlain or Hitler really know at this minute. But one thing is very definitely sure. If the war starts, it will be Hitler who is the guilty party. I do not wish to deny that the unbelievable policy of the Western democracies has helped Hitler to this fortunate or tragic position. History will prove that most efficiently and conclusively. But I do not think I am too optimistic when I say that these democracies have definitely learned their lesson. It is the terrible tragedy of my little country that it had to be crucified to redeem the sins of others. Please do not consider me blasphemous when I say that. We may have war even before I finish this little talk, or we may have another attempt at negotiations. If there is even a vestige of the Munich spirit left to initiate these negotiations, they are doomed to be a dismal failure. The only possible chance of success without bloodshed is for Hitler to climb down from the Trojan horse on which he has galloped from Munich to Berlin and then to Vienna, Memel, Prague, and so forth, and now towards Warsaw. From now on, he must walk, even walk backwards a bit. Let me be perfectly frank. I believe I have the right to be so. If Hitler attempts another bloodless victory for vulgar gangsterism, and the world, including the United States of America, let him get away with it. I have no illusions about the future of the European civilization. And what's more, we all deserve what is coming to us. On August 25th, Prime Minister Chamberlain wrote to Chancellor Hitler, said Chamberlain, the announcement of the Russian-German agreement has been taken in some quarters in Berlin as indication that intervention by Great Britain in behalf of Poland is no longer a contingency that need be reckoned with. No greater mistake could be made. Nothing can alter Great Britain's obligation to Poland. Chancellor Hitler issued Directive Number 1 for the conduct of the war. Fall Weiss, translation Case White, further translation The Invasion of Poland. It is September 1st, 1939. At 5.45 a.m., German armies move across the Polish borders and converge upon the capital city of Warsaw from the north, south, and west. It is now 10 a.m., four hours and 15 minutes since the start of the attack.
In Berlin, the Council of Ministers of the German Reichstag have been assembled. The reason, an emergency session. The Führer will speak. Hitler is speaking. The translation you will hear is taking place on September 1st, 1939. You will hear two interruptions of the Hitler speech when a news commentator, Bob Trout, takes the air for two important news flashes. When Poland told the Polish ambassador three weeks ago that if situation continued as it was, if Danzig were persecuted and were, if were attempted by Poland to ruin Danzig economically, the situation could not be tolerated. In Berlin, as Hitler spoke, there was an amazing reaction from the populace. The day was gray and the clouds low in the sky. Unlike a similar day in 1914, there were no joyous crowds following behind the brass bands that kept time for the iron-helmeted troopers of the Kaiser. Then the Wehrmacht marched to glory and the people followed. Now they marched alone. The people of Germany were shocked. The day had finally come. This was not Austria. This was not the Sudetenland. This was not Munich. Today the troops had finally marched. They prayed that Hitler's hand would not be called. Nevertheless, the sound of the airplane motors made them look to the skies. We interrupt this broadcast of Adolf Hitler's speech just momentarily to report a dispatch from Paris which says that Premier Delage of France has now called the French Council of Ministers for an emergency meeting which is to take place just 10 minutes from now at 5.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. I therefore resolve to speak to Poland in the same language in which Poland has addressed us for such a long time. Chancellor Hitler put directive number one for the conduct of the war into effect shortly after midday Thursday, August 31st. At about the same time, he sent a telegram to Edward, the Duke of Windsor, the former British monarch. The telegram read, thank you for your telegram of August 27th. You may rest assured that my attitude toward Britain and my desire to avoid another war between our peoples remain unchanged. It depends on Britain, however, whether my wishes for the future development of German-British relations can be realized. Once again, we interrupt very briefly this talk by Chancellor Hitler to announce that in London, Parliament has been summoned to meet at 6 p.m. in London, which is 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time today. Poland, for the first time this evening, has shot at regular soldiers upon our territory. From now on, bomb will be met by bomb.
said, from now on, bombs will be met with bombs. It has been historically proven that the attack Hitler charged the Poles made on the German border was another unbelievable lie. The soldiers making the attack were members of the elite German SS troops in Polish uniforms. The German attack against Germans, in effect, was Hitler's justification for starting World War II. You are listening to Hermann Goering. Hermann Goering, second in command to Adolf Hitler, commander-in-chief of the German Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, former air ace of World War I, and last leader of the famed Richthofen Squadron. Hermann Goering, Prussian police chief, chairman of the Council of Ministers, president of the Reichstag. Hermann Goering, organizer of the Nazi concentration camps. Mein Führer! General Goering is at the press addressing the Führer. Steht in dieser geschichtlichen Stunde geschlossen und einmütig hinter dem Führer. The German people stand behind the Führer. In Wien des deutschen Volkes für die Ehre und Zukunft der Nation und des Reiches jedes, aber auch jedes Opfer zu bringen. We are determined to bring every sacrifice for the honor of the German people. In every danger, we shall stand to the Führer. We expect of you to do your duty to the utmost as soldiers and as civilians. Seek heil to the Führer.
United States Americans through the medium of radio had for the first time kept abreast minute by minute of the momentous events taking place. Now it finally had come. That evening, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt spoke to the American people. cautioning motorists against the highway dangers came the ominous reports from overseas. Saturday came and once again the behind-the-scenes maneuvering. But there was no turning back. On the evening of September 2nd, Prime Minister Chamberlain spoke to a hostile House of Commons. No reply had been received from Hitler to their ultimatum of a day before that German troops must be withdrawn from Poland. France wanted a further delay. 48 hours before they would march. The House of Commons would have none of that. The ancient thrilling cry of speak for England resounded through the chamber that heard the likes of Pitt, Disraeli, and Lloyd George. The evening of September 2nd wore on. German troops were now well into Polish territory. Soldiers and civilians were victims of the Nazi onslaught. The British and French cabinets continued to meet. Lines were still open between London, Paris, and Berlin. Meanwhile, the war was on. There was misery and death reigning upon the Poles and the Polish nation. The Polish ambassador. We were willing to negotiate. We are willing to make concessions for the sake of peace. But what no nation can do to prevent war, what no free government can do, is to deliver its people into slavery for the sake of temporary peace. We shall fight this war for Poland, for the sanctity of our home, for the right to maintain our faith and our traditions. But we shall also fight to remove from Europe the specter of force and intimidation, to assure to the free nations of the world the right to enjoy freedom and independence, the right to pursue the happiness in such a way as they themselves think fit. It is ironical that the epitaph of the appeasement policy over Austria, over the Sudetenland, and over Czechoslovakia should have been written more than a decade before. Then it was written, every nation that once submits to a foreign demand has lost part of its power to resist. 
time it makes a concession, it is less able and less willing to resist the next demand. That is why the shrewd victor will always ask what he wants by degrees. Once a nation has begun to give rather than fight, it will keep on giving, provided only that the victor nation does not ask for too much. The name of the book? My Struggle. The author? Adolf Hitler. World War II had begun. be written that after all the mistakes of peaceful policy against the aggressor have been analyzed for better or for worse, that after all the misused opportunity to stop the tyrant have been dissected, it was to the everlasting glory of man that in the hour of peril he responded to the ancestral cry, duty to God, duty to country. Westinghouse Broadcasting Company has brought you The War Begins, the actual voices and sounds of the most dramatic and tragic era of the 20th century. This program was written, produced, and directed by Bud Greenspan. My name is David Perry.